This is a Together Church podcast, a place to explore meaning, friendship, and faith in Jesus. We'd love you to connect with our community. Find out more at togetherchurch.com.au. Well, welcome everyone. We're looking at love, and we've titled this series Longing for Love, which is an attempt to express something that's deep inside each one of us that wants love and that wants to um, feel love, that wants to give love. And in approaching that whole subject, we want to understand better what love is. We want to know what we're talking about. And there's quite a few different starting points that we could use. As, as we sort of seek to open up the different questions that arise when we start to think about love, because love leads into discussion about relationships. It leads into discussion about uh, morality. It leads into discussion about marriage. It, it leads into discussion about a whole lot of things that are going on in the world at the moment around love and marriage and sex and life and death and all sorts of things. So, as we approach these questions, it's very important where we start from. And one of the places we can start from is to assume or choose to believe or know that God is real. God is real. God is good. And in fact, God is love. But not everyone would start from that place. I acknowledge that. That is the place that I'm starting from, but I acknowledge the fact that there are many people in the world who might might start from a place where um, I'm not so sure. I'm still I'm still asking myself that question: Is God real? And and is God good? I hate to say it, but my daughter doesn't believe God is good. For example, there are people who that's that's their starting place. But they're asking themselves the same questions as I'm asking. All the questions that are the, the stepping stones on this ladder, even though they've started from a different place. Or you might be starting from a place, a person might start from a place where they've actually decided that God is not real. Uh, so whether he or she is good is irrelevant because I actually don't believe God is real. There are people, many people in the world, for whom that would be their starting place. But they're still navigating these same stepping stones and trying to understand about love and life and relationship and marriage and what's right and who decides what's right and all those things. They're still asking all those same questions. So we're asking the same questions that anybody would ask. And we're going to ask and address and talk about and discuss these questions, different questions, different stepping stones in that um, stairway over the next few weeks together. And they all start with the same question. What is, what is this thing that we call love? What is love? And that's, where, that's what I want to talk about today. It's basically defining what love is so that as we go through the, the weeks ahead and look at um, more and more complex aspects of this whole thing about longing for love, we've at least agreed upon what we mean by love. What, what are we actually talking about when we talk about love? Now, this is a common definition of love. And it doesn't cut the mustard for me, I can tell you. Because you, can't, you cannot define a thing by saying it is itself. That just doesn't make sense. You've got to be able to define something by referring to other things that you know. You can't just say love is love. That's a cop-out. So my reference is a book that was written 60 years ago by a guy named C.S. Lewis. Now, how many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Same guy. Did you know that? Same guy. Great. So he, he not only wrote this amazing chronicle, the Chronicles of Narnia, he, he also wrote six or seven wonderful books 
about being apprentices of Jesus. He was an apprentice of Jesus. He was a very clever man and he wrote several books about being followers of Jesus, being apprentices of Jesus. He also wrote a science fiction trilogy. And uh, if you ever want to read it, I've read it, it's fantastic. So he's a very, very talented man. And because he's very talented, he writes in a somewhat intellectual manner. Now, don't be put off by that. All I'm saying is if you choose to read this book, and, and it is a good book to read, you sort of have to read each sentence and make sure you understand what that sentence means before you read the next one. It's not a book for skim reading. It's, it's actually, you know, you've got to work your way through it and you're under, you just build layer upon layer of understanding as you go. Um, so I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going <laughs> to cut it down to something a whole lot more simple to give you the essence of what C.S. Lewis is talking about when he answers that question, what is love? And where he starts is with the fact that there are actually four different words for love in ancient Greek. And why is that relevant? It's relevant because ancient Greek is the language that was used when the, um, the Newer Testament, the books that we think of as the New Testament or the Newer Testament in the library that we think of as the Bible, when those books were written, they were written in ancient Greek. So the people that were writing those books, whenever they thought about love, they would use one of these words. So this is a good place to go to understand what love is. Because there's four different words, and they mean four different things. And that's what we're going to look at this afternoon. We're going to look at them fairly quickly, we're going to look at them one at a time, and we're going to look at them in the order in which a person growing up would normally experience these different types of love. So. We'll start with storge, which you will sometimes hear pronounced storge, sometimes storge, sometimes storge. It doesn't matter. It's the same word. I'm going to call it storge. And storge is the physical affection that you see between people that are familiar with each other, that have a, a level of familiarity with each other. So it's not something that I would express towards someone who was a complete stranger or even someone that knew me a little bit okay. If I go up to someone who I don't know all that well and I sit close to them and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, maintaining sort of <laughs> personal contact, physical contact like that, that person's probably going to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I got a yes. I got a yes. And actually, I know Amelie reasonably well, but not well enough, you see. Because this kind of storge love is usually expressed within a family. That's where it starts. It's, it's the love, the physical expression of love that you see between a mother and her child, between a father and his child, between a grandparent and a grandchild. You know, the cuddling and, and um, just that like the kid that just snuggles up and just wants to stay in your embrace for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes on and feels perfectly comfortable there and feels safe and feels secure and is nurtured. That's stalker love. Now, in a community, in a fellowship of people that know each other pretty well, you'll find that stalker love extending to people who may not be part of your immediate family. Like Kylie right now. <laughs> you know, perfect example. That's stalker love between two people who have a high level of familiarity with each other. And that's what it is. Okay? It, if you think about Jacob in the Older Testament, who was the father of 12 sons, and 11 of those sons did the dirty on the 12th one and told their dad that he'd been killed by a wild animal and they didn't know where he was. And Jacob wept for his lost son. And, and his heart was broken for his lost son for years and years and years. And, and there's, he just, 
accepted the fact he was never going to see his son Joseph again. Now, that's not the plan God had for Joseph or Jacob, and they were reunited, and it was an amazing reuniting. But that's an example of that strong connection between a father and a son. Um, Think of Moses' mother. Now, what, what happened there? What did Moses' natural mother have to do to save his life when he was just a few months old? Put him in a basket by the edge of the river and walked away... And Pharaoh's daughter found the baby and decided to raise the child as her own. But then who became the wet nurse to look after young Moses? The mother. And you imagine her joy at being reunited with her son. And just imagine her nursing her own son. It's just a beautiful picture of a mother who was giving her son away, being reunited with him, and just I, just, I can just picture her gazing into his eyes and him gazing into her eyes, and just that connection. That's Storger love. And funnily enough, it's the love that a child might feel for a teddy bear as well. You know, like, it's just that cuddling. It doesn't have to even actually be between people or a pet. A favourite pet, you know, snuggling up to the puppy or the rabbit or not the goldfish, but whatever it might be. Um, that is a, a form of stalker love. Okay. Philea. It's, it's similar to stalker love in a way that, that it depends upon there being a well-established relationship. But in Philea, it's generally outside the family... It generally doesn't have that level of close physical affection that we associate with snuggles and cuddles within a family between parents and children and brothers and sisters and sometimes grandparents and grandchildren and so on. Um, it's, it's more the kind of affection, the bond that develops between two or three people, usually only a small number, that have strived for something together. You know, there's a quest like David and Jonathan fighting the Philistines together, standing shoulder to shoulder, swords in hand, shields protecting each other, fighting, you know, and, and, and just doing stuff together that was big and important and dangerous and coming through the other side of it victorious and celebrating the victory of the thing that they'd worked together for. The relationship, the kind of love that they felt for each other is called philea. It's, it's the love from, of um, planning something together and equipping for something together and preparing for something together and going out and doing it together and enjoying success and victory and, and then being able to celebrate that success afterwards or not achieving what you set out to achieve and commiserating with each other and comforting each other and you know, oh, if only we hadn't done such and such. You make sure I remember that next time. We won't make this mistake again, the two of us. We'll go out there again. We'll be, we'll be back, you know. We've just got to get a bit stronger and um, now we know what we're up against. But that's two men or two women working together as a partnership, striving for something and the affection they develop by being such strong partners together is called philea. And as I say, David and Jonathan are a very good example of that. Eros. Eros is the exclusive love of a shared life with a beloved one. That's what Eros means. It's not only about sexual intimacy. It's not only about the, the side of Eros from which we get the word erotic for example at all it is it is two people choosing each other as the exclusive life partner with whom they want to complete the rest of their life if you think about what's expressed in the song of solomon in the older testament my beloved is mine and I am his. There is a, a mutual surrender from each side um, of the relationship. And that's what Eros is. 
Now, I'm going to go back through each of these again with some slightly different examples to emphasise um, what they each are so that we can understand them better. But before I do that, I haven't talked about agape yet, have I? And I want to draw a line before I talk about agape. And the reason for putting that line there is that the first three that we've looked at, Storga, Philea and Eros, are called the three natural loves. They are loves of the natural world. They are the loves of our physical realm here on earth. And agape love is supernatural. It's something different. It's on another plane. And in the natural world, as we know, Satan is endeavouring to influence what happens, to influence what we do, to influence what we think, to influence the world around us in ways that he is hoping will prevent us from being able to enjoy eternal life with God our Father in heaven. And he works very hard in this space, in the natural world, interfering with the natural order in each of these areas of love. And we'll look at that a little as we go. And I, I do want to say that a lot of the things that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks are particularly, particularly relevant for people in their teens who are growing into adulthood and are starting to face these questions and to, and to be um, influenced by what the world around them thinks about these things and starting to absorb some of that information and opinion and stuff. And we need to be a place where they can talk about these things. And, and it probably not something that we do on a Sunday afternoon gathered here like this, but over the next couple of months, we're going to find ways to have the conversations that help people who are, who are starting to grapple with these questions um, to understand the perspective that we have as, as, as apprentices of Jesus on these questions. And there may also be people who, for whatever reason, are confused about some of these things. We want to be able to have those conversations together to help people find a way through their confusion. There may be people that have been hurt in some way in these areas that we'll be talking about and are carrying hurt that's holding them back from being a full expression of who God intends them to be. We want to have those conversations too. Not forcing people to have them, but inviting them to have them and providing a safe place where we can have those conversations. That's what we'd like to be able to do over the next few months. So let's talk a bit more about agape love. And the most obvious difference between agape love and the three natural loves that we've already talked about is there are no conditions. What was the condition around storge love? It's a love we express with people we are familiar with. So it's limited. Storger love is limited to people with whom we have a familial connection, most frequently within the family. Okay, what about philea? There's a limit to philea. What is it? It's, it's friends, but it's actually more than friends. How many friends, who, who's gone on Facebook? How many friends have you got on Facebook, Mike? 7,000. 7, I'm not sure he's telling the truth, but, <laughs> but he could be. Now, are they the kind of friends that you just mentioned? All of them? No, no why not? Okay. And the relationship grows out of shared experience. And philia love has a boundary around it, not intentionally, it just works out that way, that the, the people with whom we share philia love are people with whom we've gone through experiences together, like big experiences, not just we went to the shops and bought an ice cream, but big experiences. 
And so there's that boundary. What about Eros? Where's the boundary there? One other person. <laughs> that's a pretty restrictive boundary, isn't it? That's not how the world would have it, by the way, and that's not how Satan would have it. But as I said at the outset, I'm approaching this question from the perspective of an apprentice of Jesus, and within that perspective, Eros is about one other person who I choose for life. That's, that's what Eros is. Agape love is without condition. Look at the love that Jesus showed for the people he met during the time that he lived on earth. Lepers, cripples, blind people, deaf and mute people, demon-possessed people, way beyond any of those three boundaries that I just mentioned as applying to Storga, Philea and Eros. It is unconditional. Anyone qualifies to receive agape love. That's an amazing difference. The other difference, these three loves are all natural loves. So when do they end? When does my storger love for my son end? When I die or when he dies? Exactly. When does philea love end? When does my philea friendship love with my fishing buddy Mark end? Same answer. When does my eros love for Mary end? When one or the other of us dies. Pretty confronting thing to think about, I know. But that's a fact. When does agape love end? Never. Never. Exactly. So the difference between agape love and the other three forms of love is that it is unconditional and that it's eternal. And actually, it picks up each of the other three natural loves. I mean, our, our understanding of heaven is based on experiences that we have in the natural world, expanded beyond our wildest dreams. That's what heaven's like, you know. Creation, beautiful. Heaven and eternity is so much more than the beauty and wonder and joy and fun of the creation that we enjoy here. This is similar. So agape love is, is an even more complete expression of the love of a parent for a child. It's an even more amazing expression of the love that two battle buddies feel for each other, you know, striving against and, and for the... Imagine sitting down with God as our philea friend talking about the victory that we've won over the devil... That's philea love. You know, the quest that we've been on together and celebrating success. A much fuller expression of that than we might experience here on earth. The same with Eros. Think about what Jesus said to his followers at that last meal that they shared. He wants to be one with us and he wants us to be one with him. Eros. But a much fuller expression of it that is unconditional and forever. That's what agape love is. And you know, there's, there's some classic lines in the books of the Bible that talk about love that we'd be very familiar with, many of them. John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not be lost but would have eternal life. What kind of love? Agape. Unconditional and eternal. In John chapter 13, another um, passage from John's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. This is what Jesus said, and John wrote it down so we'd all know it. I give you a new command. Love each other. You must love each other just as I loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. What kind of love? Agape love. Agape love. Exactly. Unconditional and eternal. Uh, Paul, 
wrote a letter to the early church, the early apostles and um, the early apprentices of Jesus living in Corinth. And in chapter 13 of his first letter to that church, love is patient and kind, love is not jealous, it does not, and it goes on. Everyone here has heard these verses, I'm sure. They're often read at weddings. Now, if you were going to read something at a wedding, which kind of love would you think it might be about? Which? Eros, you would think so. You know, this is a marriage, Eros, okay, so we'll... What kind of love is talked about in this passage when Paul's writing to the people in Corinth? It's not Eros. What is it? Agape. Again, agape love. That's right. And one more time, John also wrote a letter, general letter, not just to the church in Corinth, but a general letter. It's called his first letter. And in chapter 4, verse 8 of that, he says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What kind of love? Agape. Yeah, this is one of those occasions when the right answer to the question isn't always Jesus. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Jesus is agape, that's right. God is love. Um, so all these verses, many of which we will have heard before in different contexts, the kind of love it's talking about each time is agape love. All right. Now I'm just going to circle back through these quickly. Storga, the love that you see, the physical affection you see, particularly within a family between parents and children, grandparents and grandchildren, brothers and sisters. Um, it's, it's a physical, it's, it's a nurturing, a protecting, an assuring, a comforting love. All right? So that's Storga. Philea. It's, it's the buddies that plan, equip, prepare, go forth, enjoy victory, celebrate, you know, it, it's, it's doing big stuff together and, and just growing in friendship for each other through the shared experience, way beyond going to the shop and buying an ice cream. Um, and, and, you know, it, this is actually the least common form of love that we see around us in the natural world. Would you believe that? Once upon a time, if we were a tribe living in a few caves in a valley somewhere, Daniel and I would be heading out every second or third day with our spears to, to get some tucker. You know, and it's dangerous. Uh, and it's important because if we don't come back with some meat, nobody gets to eat. And so we have these experiences where we're actually depending on each other. The whole community is depending on us. We might get attacked by a saber-toothed tiger or something. Who knows? It's dangerous and we have to work together. We have to trust each other. You know, you go this... I, you get to the point where I don't, we don't even have to talk to each other. We know each other so well that when we see the antelope, he just automatically circles around that way and I hide behind this bush. And we haven't even spoken to each other and, you know, we've got a plant that we don't even have to talk about. Like a team, exactly. Um, so perhaps the nearest some people come to this experience in the world today is, is the netball team they play in with their, you know, there's a competition every week and all that kind of thing. Um, so this is, this is not a kind of love that we actually see that much in the world around us. And we substitute all sorts of different things for... Oh, what happened there? For philea. Like Mike's 7,000 Facebook friends. <laughs> you know, that is a very poor substitute for what we're talking about here. But actually the world is offering that substitute to... Young and people, young and old in our world today, all the time. Yes, and people think, I'm okay, I've got all these friends on Facebook. And it's nothing like what this is talking about, which, which is a real um, a love and a friendship that actually supports and sustains us um, through life, built on shared experience. Yes, contacts acquaintances, uh, nothing like what we're talking about. Okay, Eros. And, uh, and I said, this is, this is life with my beloved. This is, this is the love I share with the person that I want to be with for the rest of my life, to build a home with, 
to have children with, to raise a family with, to have holidays with, to travel with, at the end of the day, to share a bed with. That's what eros love is. And it is a love that is intended to exist within marriage if your starting point is a belief in who God is and, and what he tells us about how we should live our lives. So that's my perspective on eros, that it's, it's a choice to share the rest of my life with one other person in a marriage relationship. Now, have I forgotten something about eros? Sexual intimacy is also part of eros, as we understand. But I just want to make the point, I just want to emphasise the point that eros is much, much more than sexual intimacy. It's much more than that. Um, and that's really, really important to understand. And it's also intended to be expressed within marriage. Now, if you like, I've looked at each of these three natural loves as primary colours. I've kind of separated them out and said, well, this one's Storga and it looks like this. And it's separate from Philea, which looks like this, which is separate from Eros, which looks like this. But like red, yellow and blue, you can blend them. And so these, these different forms of love can actually overlap. So within a family, for example, where you've got stronger affection within two brothers, between two brothers. They might also be two brothers that go out on quests together and develop philea love as well. Um, you know, so there's, there's a little bit of overlap, but the overlap is actually something that the devil uses to get us into a whole heap of trouble. You know, where, for example, the, um, uh, the affection that a... I'll speak from personal experience. The affection that I felt for others, females as a 17 or 18-year-old, became misplaced. I, I didn't understand the difference between these different kinds of love. And I thought it was just a continuum which kind of led from here to 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 trouble, which is where I ended up. Uh, if we understand the difference between these types of love well and we recognise the differences between them, we respond to them differently. And we can learn to um, express them appropriately because we're not getting confused about these crossovers between stalker love and affection, for example, and eros, and the physical intimacy that is a part of eros. That's why it's really important to understand these differences. And we'll be looking at these in a lot more detail later on, and perhaps in a different format, but at this kind of point of defining them all, I think it's important to acknowledge that that's one of the things where this can come unstuck. Okay, so I want to represent agape love with a porous boundary. What does porous mean? Things can come in and out. Whereas, whereas the natural loves have got a hard a firm boundary, they're, they're restricted as I was saying before, that they are constrained to within particular contexts, like within a family within the war buddies, within whatever it might be, the one that I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with right. now I just want to pause for a minute and uh, I want everyone to pause and just reflect on what we've been talking about in defining storga, philea, eros and agape. And I just want you to spend a few moments thinking about the good things from your past in the areas, the experience that you've had in these four types of love. What is it that sits in your heart and mind as a good memory of the love that you've experienced or expressed in your life? in these four different ways. Okay, and similarly, what are the hurts and pains from the past 
that you've experienced in terms of these four loves? What is it that sits in your heart and mind from the past that hurts? It's painful. I'm not going to ask anybody to share any of it. It's for you. But it could be that there's something there that God's opening up for you and there will come a time, maybe even soon, to just sit down and share that with someone else to unburden it and to find a place of healing of the hurt that's felt. So just spend a little bit of time reflecting on the hurts and pains from your past that sit in your heart and mind. We want this to be a place where a fellowship within which you can bring those things forward. Maybe just with one or two other people. We want this to be that kind of a place and we're committed to it being that kind of a place. So be encouraged. Um, you know, there's, there's any number of people here. If you feel comfortable approaching any of those people and just saying, look, can we have a chat about something? It's on my heart. We'll find a way of doing that quietly and respectfully and res in a restorative way and there's a real invitation there about that from me on behalf of this fellowship and, and the people in leadership in this fellowship. Alright, now back to our little diagram. Just as Jesus came from heaven to earth, he crossed that dotted red line. He came into the natural world from the supernatural world. Just as he did that, so agape love extends from the supernatural realm, from the heavenly world, into the natural world. What a wonderful thing. We don't have to wait until we die before we experience agape love. Agape love is something that we can experience now through our faith in Jesus, through following him and through um, learning to behave in the way that he's taught us to behave and to do the things he's asked us to do, like loving each other. So agape love is something that we can enjoy now, here and now. And we're asked to share it with others. It's not just something that we receive. It's something we're also asked to share with others. And what are the two things about agape love that make it different from all the other kinds of love? No conditions. And it's eternal. That's what we're asked to share with others. And the agape love is... is is an expression, it's modelled on the loves that we experience through Storga love, Philea love and Eros love. It's modelled on those things, but it's so much more. So it's showing affection for someone who's uh, sitting in the gutter in the mall at 8 o'clock on a Friday night weeping. Now, I, in my natural self... I would not go and sit with that person and, and put my arm around them and give them a bit of comfort and assurance through some physical connection. I wouldn't do that in the natural world because Storger love has this constraint that it's about love within a family with people with whom we're familiar. And I don't know this person from a bar of soap. But agape love, unconditional, crosses that boundary of me not knowing this person and extends stalker love, the physical affection that I might show to my own son or daughter, to this poor, poor gutted, weeping, whatever the problem is, but showing that love for them is, is the beginning of establishing a relationship that might help them to deal with whatever they're dealing with at that time. So that's an example of agape love being expressed here in the natural world, here and now. Now, I want to set aside the gold standard of agape love for a minute and just go back to something that I said before. 
about the way in which the devil is trying to unhinge everything that God's trying to do through our experience and understanding of, of love and of these three natural loves. And the first way he does it is he, he tries to fool us into believing that this is all there is. You know, we've got from now until whenever I die to get everything I might ever get out of, that's the time I've got. And so people go over, don't know what I'm trying to say, people consume themselves trying to get the most out of love in the short period of time they've got because the devil's fooled them into believing that that is all the time they've got. So that's part of it. But, um, you know, we have, as apprentices of Jesus, we have an eternal perspective. And the things of the natural world that we do, we desire them for sure. We desire that kind of affection. We desire all the things I've been talking about. We'd like to have them and more of them. But what we need to realise is that, that this life on earth for us is such a tiny, 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 tiny fragment of everything that God has for us. Eternity is is a very big space in a very long time. Now, I don't know how to represent that. I don't know how to show that to you. I don't think I can. But this is a way of thinking about it, perhaps. That that natural world which occupies so much of our thoughts and so much of our time and so much of our energy and so much of our emotions and so much of our resources is a pinprick. You know? It's just insignificant and yet we attach so much significance to it and if we have a heavenly perspective on our place the things of the natural world become so small and and things that are um, that we feel so strongly that we need if we've got a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective, those things don't demand anywhere near as much of us. We can keep them in perspective. So that's one important thing. That the things of the natural world... I mean, as a teenager, I was totally preoccupied with the whole idea of physical intimacy within a relationship. You know, it was like huge... No one ever told me the stuff I'm sharing with you today, and I probably wouldn't have listened, I'll be honest. Um, but it's the truth. And these huge things which we spend so much of our time chasing after and are never quite satisfied with, they're insignificant in a heavenly perspective. So, let's, let's look on the other side of the ledger. I don't know how to portray the vastness of eternity to you. But I'll try. I mean, you can see where I'm going with this. You know, the, the word itself is just a pinprick somewhere because eternity is just this huge, unfathomably huge future time and space that we can't really understand. And if our thoughts and expectations are shaped by this knowledge of an eternal future that's unlimited, then it's a, it is actually a lot easier to navigate our way through the time that we have uh, in this natural world. Now, some people are completely unaware that there is an eternal dimension to our life. Completely unaware. Everything they think about, everything they yearn for, everything they expect to achieve is framed simply by the number of years that they think they'll be alive on earth. That's it. And that drives you into a certain sort of behaviour. If this is all there is, I want to make the most of it. And it applies to the way people approach love as well. You know, this is all there is. I've got 70 years to enjoy this. Boy, am I going to enjoy it. And, and, you know, that just leads to all sorts of poor decisions and confusion and trouble. So there are some people who are just completely unaware of the whole dimension. There are others 
They've given it a bit of thought. And they've decided that their doubts about it outweigh any evidence there might be for it. So I've thought about it a bit, but nah, I, I'm just not convinced. And they also choose not to take an eternal perspective on, any, on their life and on love and on how they interpret and express love. And there are others who've given it a bit of a go and decided it was all too hard and they've just given up. But there are people who are apprentices of Jesus who believe in eternity and they frame their life around the knowledge of an eternal life that goes beyond the grave and they are guided by what God has said about how we should live our lives and they're guided by what God has said about love, about agape love and the call he's placed on our lives to share agape love with others. They're guided by that. But they believe, my dad's one of these people, that yes, there's eternity and if I get this right, if I get this right through this journey I'm on, if I get it right... I will qualify for eternity. That's what my dad believes. He's come from a Catholic background and to this day he believes that he's got to get it right. And if he doesn't get it right, he might not qualify. If he gets it almost right, he might have to spend a bit of time after he dies in another place just to kind of round off the edges and then he might qualify. But there's, not this, there's no certainty. You know, it's, it's, um, it's very unfortunate. It's, it's particularly unfortunate when people get to an age where you can't actually have that conversation with them anymore, and which is unfortunately where my dad is at. There are other people, and I'm in this camp, I believe in eternity. I believe in everything Jesus has said about heaven and God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and eternal life, and how I should live my life. And I believe that as long as I don't fall, as long as I don't slip, I'm entitled to place in heaven. That Jesus has chosen me as his brother, or you as his sister, to be with him in, in heaven with his Father, our Father, for eternity. Now, it's... it's, it's it's, um, I've got my ticket. You know, I've got my ticket through my faith in what Jesus did for me. That's what I believe. I don't have to make sure I get it right. But I am obliged to live my life in a certain way, which Jesus has revealed to me through what I read about him when I read the books of the Bible. But if I slip up, which could happen, I might lose it. And the difference between those two things comes at a very high price. There's a very high price to get from the person who just believes they have to get it right to qualify and the person who believes that they have already received the promise of eternal life. But they might fall if they don't continue to walk in the path that Jesus has prepared for them. The price is huge, but it's already been paid. And the reason Jesus went to the cross to pay that price is because God the Father asked him to do so. He was obedient to his Father. The reason the Father asked Jesus to go to the cross was the Father's agape love for us. That's what it says in the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus on earth. That's what it says in the letters that the early apprentices of Jesus wrote to encourage each other and wrote to encourage the churches. That God the Father, because of his agape love for us, sent his son to die on the cross so that all who believe in him may have eternal life. So when we look at love and what love is, 
we see four different types of love that, that were the types of love understood by people at the time that the books of the Bible written in Jesus' time or after, after Jesus' time on earth were written. Three of them <coughs> apply in the natural world and we've experienced those in different ways. Maybe we haven't all experienced eros, but we've experienced storga love, we've experienced philea love. And we are called to receive agape love, the love that God has for us, and we're called to share it with each other. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to look more closely at um, what each of those forms of love and our experience of them means for related questions that we grapple with as, as we journey on our journey together and, and as we face life together and as we learn about love together. So I think this is a good time for a short reflection after which I'll ask Daniel to come and lead us in communion. And what I'd like us to reflect on this is not looking back as we did last time we had a little reflection which was looking back this is looking forward but the same four loves and the question I'd like you to reflect on for a few moments before communion is what are the choices that are front of mind for you at the moment in, in your journey as they relate to these four different loves have you got choices about Storga love? Have you got choices about philea love? Have you got choices about eros love? Have you got choices about agape love that are front of mind for you at the moment? And I just wanted you to um, reflect on what those choices might be at this point in time for a few moments. And one more question to take home with you probably whatever you've come up with in that short reflection what is God saying to you about that choice and I just pray that this evening and in the week ahead you'll have time to pause and regather those reflections and just seek what it might be that God is telling you about those choices that are in your life in the areas of storga and the way in which we express physical affection within our familial group. Choices about philea love friendships. Choices about eros love relationships. Choices about the place of sexual intimacy within eros our eros love relationship choices about the unconditional and eternal agape love that we are asked to share with others as God has shared it with us through his son Jesus Amen